I've always heard nonprofit leaders talk about the many hats they wear throughout their careers. Well, what if I told you you could give back one of those hats? That's what we're talking about today on Small Shop Fundraising. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack, and today we are joined by an Aussie I know, well, I guess an Aussie almost, here on Small Shop. His name is Daniel Johnson, originally from Kentucky, where I call home. Daniel has moved out to Australia to become an entrepreneur, and he's actually got a great project that he's working on right now we'll get to later. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. Good uh, day from Australia, as they say here. But you can figure out I'm not Australian. How long have you been in Australia now, Daniel? First time I came to Australia was for a couple weeks in September 2016. Stayed for a month in November and December 2016. And then got invited back to live a year in May 2017. Stayed for a year, traveled around the world again, and then uh, got invited back in May of 2019. And I've been here except for a couple trips abroad to Asia and back to the U.S. And I'm here until this current COVID pandemic subsides, I think. So why Australia? It's fun. Uh, <laughs> Australia is a, a great place, a big, massive landmass for sure. But there's this desire that people have here that I've not seen in many places in the U.S. And it all survives around or focuses around perseverance. Whenever an Australian decides to do something, they do it. They've got an amazing innovation record. Whenever you think about Wi-Fi that we have, Australians created Wi-Fi. Why? Oh. Because they had, a, they had a problem that the vast distance, which is about 80, 88% of the landmass of the U.S., they needed to get, they just couldn't run cabling like we can in Europe and the U.S. And so they just created Wi-Fi. And, and now it touches everybody. So, yeah, great, great innovation here. I really feel like there are a lot of similarities between small business owners and entrepreneurs and the nonprofit sector, specifically small to medium-sized nonprofits. You are actually the second person that works outside of the nonprofit sector that I've had on the show in the last, uh, this show started probably eight weeks, nine weeks ago. I do that on purpose to bring outside know-how experience to our nonprofit sector, primarily in the U.S. right now. And so I'm so glad to have you on to talk about content, why it might be so important for nonprofits and entrepreneurs to develop content for its uses. Can you talk about why that's important to you? I love the work that not-for-profits do. Liz, you and I both served on a not-for-profit organization uh, together on their board. So whenever I, I think about famous not-for-profits, one of the ones that comes to mind is the American Red Cross. Mm -hmm. And if your listeners think about, well, what does the American Red Cross do and how do they fund, they're immediately going to say, well, it's by donation. But that's actually not the case. They're a not-for-profit, um, and it said, hey, instead of these profits and whatever that we get going back to individual humans, we're actually going to make the, the money that we generate off of our activities go back to serving other people and stuff like that, which is great. But the American Red Cross actually makes hundreds of millions of dollars off of an activity and a business model that they figured out. They figured out that they can take and convince us as regular humans and members of society to give away a commodity for free, which is our blood. 
and they then take that commodity and then they put it through some procedures through business processes and then they sell that off to hospitals and they sell it for $500 a pop. Now that's a great that's a great model for any nonprofit. You get something from free, you add a little bit of value through your network, you get money back for it. That's a business if you look at it from an MBA standpoint or a business school standpoint, but from a not-for-profit, they're doing good with that money and helping people out in crises and stuff like that. So I guess my big thing is to share, just because you're a not-for-profit doesn't mean that you have to sustain only on fundraisers or getting donations left and right. You can have a very well-working business model that helps you get money both now and in the future. And a, a not-for-profit or a new business's goal is only to create a model that sustains itself now and in the future. I have to so, completely agree with you, Daniel. I feel like nonprofits, I think, are uh, in our communities starting to realize that you can't just lean on one event because a pandemic might might come and uh, completely take away that opportunity for in-person gatherings or you can't completely uh, lean on the government the U.S. government providing grants through their programs to sustain your mission you have to have a versatile profile of different revenue streams entrepreneurial type revenue streams as well as donations and grants in order to sustain getting back to your your question about creating content. This is what I do with entrepreneurs that are typically starting for-profit businesses, but also work with people that create for-purpose businesses. So in the U.S., we call that uh, the B Corp, which has a triple bottom line or something like that. That's Mm -hmm. not that much different than a for-profit. They just say, hey, we give ourselves permission to serve more than just our profit and bottom line that comes in. Um, So as I'm working with people, there's this interesting concept that I get people to think about, and I would ask your listeners to just take a second and think about five or ten items that they know they can speak with authority on for three to five minutes. If you're the American Red Cross, uh, you can think about how important it is to to donate blood. What what are the five uses of blood after we receive it and we clean it and, and do whatever? Could be speaking three minutes about what's it like to, to be a first-time donor. Could be a topic on what's it like to give your hundredth donation. Uh, what happens at the time of Christ? And if you're um, an animal welfare, it could be, hey, how do we actually feed the animals? People don't realize it, but if they're working in the not-for-profit, but you feeding an animal and what that process looks like, people want to know that. Like, we don't get to make other people happy with animals all day, but you do, and you may take it for granted. Mm-hmm. So yeah. think about those three, five-minute topics that you could speak about. So, Liz, I'm sure you, you have one or two in mind for what you've done. Oh, so I think nonprofits could talk about how dollars have impacted their mission during COVID-19 or, or the uh, different protests that have happened locally or uh, across the country in the U.S. and, and in Australia and other countries. There's, there's, like you said, there's, there's lots of different things. Um, if we are, say we're a not-for-profit zoo, we feed big tigers on a daily basis. To us, well, that's just what we do as a animal handler and a zookeeper. But the average person never has that experience. They don't know what it's like to cut up the big, large pieces of meat. They don't know what it's like to walk in that cage with a bucket full of, of the meat or whatever the animal is eating. Recording yourself on a video walking through that, how you select the meat, 
what, how you cut it up, how you prepare it. Um, just telling us that, hey, on average, they eat 20 pounds of meat a day. We'll never know that, but we'll find it engrossing and amazing to learn about. So that's that's what I mean about content. Maybe mm-hmm. not about how we steward somebody. Yeah. Step that's what I think about. Them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's your world, and that's exactly what you do. You you may think it's interesting. Somebody may or may not. But let's take the zoo example. <laughs> Are you trying um, to say that you don't think it's interesting, <laughs> Daniel? Uh, I, I decline to comment on that. <laughs> so uh, let, let's let's take the zoo the zoo example and feeding the animals. To to everybody else, that looks like a routine thing if you're engrossed in the business, but the average person and maybe one of your patrons may want to do that. So you should record yourself. You can talk, have five minute interviews, three minute interviews about why did you select chicken today over beef or whatever it is for that animal. You could record video, it doesn't matter. So the process that I walk people through is take those five or 10 pieces of content, get in front of a camera, you don't have to look good. It can be your phone. You've got it in your hand right now, more than likely. And just record yourself. Record yourself, and I call this verbal vomit. You just record yourself for three to five minutes on each topic, back to back to back for an hour, whatever it is. Now you're armed with 60 minutes of content. Maybe that is 20 topics you've talked about. Who knows? Well, your next step is to then purpose that content. So step one, generate the content, your content ideas. Step two is actually record the content for yourself it doesn't have to be perfect we're not looking for quality here we're looking for just content and the words coming out of your mouth and then we want to help somebody repurpose that the way that i do it is you get somebody else to type out what you put on that video and then that 200 word 300 word whatever it turns out to be is now a blog post it's now something you can link to in a newsletter it's now a highlight you can throw onto Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, do Twitch, uh, throw it on Pinterest. And so you may have 20 pieces of content that now you've created with the help of a content writer. And if you're a not-for-profit, you may not have the funds to do this, but I can tell you how you can get it done otherwise. I use a service called Upwork, U-P-W-O-R-K.com. I, I, get, I find a trusted person that I like the way that they work and they generate content. And so I give them this hour-long video and I say, hey, there's probably 20 topics in there. Generate some content for me. And then they come back $10, content $20, something like that. But think, you're two or $300 in. You just bought your life back from generating that content. I just want to step back a little bit. This might be a completely crazy idea for a nonprofit to to use Upworks or even like a, I could see even a Fiverr.com coming in and helping with creating content from what you've given them, right? So you've done this before, right, Daniel? I do it on a regular basis. Oh, you do? Okay. So yeah. is that how you created some of your work for with Lolly that we'll talk about here in a little bit? Yes. Uh, I use Upwork contractors for that. It's actually people doing the majority of the work on that are off of Upwork. So just, so just because whenever I say use Upwork, if you don't have the $20 to pay for a content writer to turn over a piece of content from your video, maybe instead what you want to do is have a group of volunteers come in, you throw a pizza party, and you get everybody to say, hey, Susie, you get, you get minutes one to five. The topic is on feeding big cats. Hey, Tim, you get minutes 7 to 12. You get to talk about what's it like cleaning up a pen in the apes. And they just, everybody sits together, spends 20, 30 minutes, and then at an hour-long pizza party. And right now you could do it due to the pandemic off of Zoom. It doesn't matter. And you get 20 pieces of content for an hour's work. Now, if you do pizza whenever we could join together, well, you're still going to be out 150 or $200. You're going to pay for that one way or another. Mm-hmm. 
you're either going to pay with your own time or you're going to pay with helping out your volunteers get a full belly or beer, whatever it is, or you can pay a, a subcontractor to do. So, wow, this this could be idea that's completely you know foreign to some of my listeners. So what what success have you had working with folks who are not in the business of feeding the animals or working with health and human services or whatever, and then being able to provide good quality content. Yeah. So in Australia, there's these bushfires that came through, devastated entire regions. Um, I was actually caught up in them, which was an interesting experience, but that's for another podcast. But some of the not-for-profits and some of the businesses did an amazing job walking through and posting on a regular basis about how they were responding to the recovery effort. And so they were giving a daily update. Hey, we woke up today. Here's what our backyard looked like, charred, all the trees are gone, whatever. So we immediately had to go and buy hay. And so they talk about how they went and bought hay for that animal. And every time that they posted content, they would always have a call to action. It would be, hey, if um, the animal welfare in Australia here in New South Wales was, is important to you and you want to help us out, buy more hay. Buy, right now we're paying seven times the usual rate for us. Buy Sabella hay and they would put a link at the bottom. And then people, because they generate content that people thought was interesting, they were helping offset the cost of that activity they were doing. Why? They were sharing the story about what they were doing right. and, and the pains. Everything's not always great in a for-profit, in the government, or a not-for-profit. Tell the truth, and you'll be surprised at what people will do with you and for you. So when you've done this exercise with in your entrepreneur boot camp that you were telling me about before we started recording, how successful have your students been in actually you know, completing this this task that you've provided them and, and then really generating good quality content the first time around? Uh, yeah, they don't do it the first time around. I'll be completely honest with you. So what I typically do is I provide the framework and the, hey, this is how you get it done. And then people are like, oh, sounds great. And then they follow it away in their parking lot. Okay, that's great. I did my part of it and I told you how to do it. This may seem overwhelming and you're not going to get it correct the first time. That's okay. But just like you are seeking and you're not for profit for that sustainable and repeatable model to either get donations or to find stewards or create great stewardship or provide that service or item that you're doing, you've got to do it for yourself too and realize that on the first time you're not going to do it correct. That's great. You learn something. That just makes the next one better. Mm-hmm. So don't have expectations that you're going to get it perfect the first time. Rarely do. I've had so many mess ups. It's sort of hilarious. <laughs> and so earlier you said when you've done this for yourself or your business projects, you've spent upwards of 20 to $30. Is that right? For all the content? That seems pretty reasonable. I think it's reasonable too. You got to think that's one hour's worth of, of work at a very low rate, probably for a not-for-profit or for a typical business. And so I see the world as I have to figure out how I buy other people's time to help me meet my objective. And if I can pay, like me writing content um, is not the best use of my time. Me directing five people to generate 20 times the content that's a great use of my time energy. Can I do the content generation? Yes. Am I very good at it? Probably not. Not compared to somebody that does this 20 times a day. So I, I try to buy time. It's, you got to do the activity. That's what people don't realize. Activity is going to get you the outcome that you want. And expecting perfection on try number one is not going to work. The first time everybody got their first client, the first steward, you did not do that perfectly. There's no way everybody did. Sure. It's learning. Write it off as a learning experience. And $20 to learn to me seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. 
it sounds like you would say to be kind to yourself once you you start this process. It's not going to go well the first time. So try, try again. And uh, wow. So Upworks is another one of your, your favorites. Would you say that you need to be specific as to social platforms when you work with these other folks who aren't like a part of your nonprofit? Um, so you can be specific. So for instance, if you do have one of these people that you're working with, whether it's a volunteer, that is social media savvy, or it's somebody that you hire, the same picture that you use on Facebook is not the same picture size-wise you need to use on LinkedIn. And it's not the same on Twitter. It's not the same on Twitch. They all have different setups. So there's actually tools out there that you can have one base image and then it, you upload it and then it pops out all the different images that you need to use for these different platforms. Typically what happens whenever we engage, say, a volunteer that, oh, I'm great with social media. Let me help you manage your social media. Well, just giving them keys to the online kingdom and you're like, here, manage it for us. Well, they don't have anything to manage. They need content to publish and to schedule. But if you're like, hey, yeah, make us five posts a week. And they're like, uh, I don't know what to do. We have to arm them with the pictures and the graphics and the stories and the videos and the text and the link back that makes sense. Pretty cool. I think I'm actually going to give this a shot and, and then maybe share this with my listeners to see how well I did it for the first time and how well the content creation came out from my hour-long video on my phone I think that would be a nice experiment to, to do for the podcast even yeah so, so the the interesting thing is after you do the your stage one which is just speak in front of um, you create your your topics first then stage two is creating the video recording it's raw it's great fine whatever then you get help generating that video into transcripts and to content then you repurpose it and you put it onto your eight or 10 social media platforms, whatever it is. And there's scheduling tools out there that you can use. Buffer is one that does well. Even Facebook has a built-in for the professional pages that nonprofits should have um, a scheduling tool. Now that's the hard way to do it, but you can do it. And after you do this, you can actually schedule all this out for the rest of the year. You can just set it and forget and walk away and people are engaging and those donations are coming in. The new call for volunteers are happening. People are liking and engaging and sharing, which is what we need to have happen. But there's this other amazing thing that happens. So let's say that in February, your content generation calendar offshoots. We'll go back to the, the item of uh, feeding big cats at the zoo. And you generate this content. Well, then if you come back into June and your local news station they're doing a story on the zoo because it's opening back up after COVID. Well, now all you have to do is find the reporter that's doing it and saying, hey, not sure if you're going to do a story on this, but we actually did a, a behind the scenes how to feed the cat. And mm -hmm. they're, they're going to link to you at that point. They're going to ask you for a video. And here's the other interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize. If you make it super simple on the journalist to do their job, and you've already created this content that they can find or you proactively reach out to them, they may ask you to be interviewed. Yeah. Now, Liz, what happens whenever we're interviewed? What typically happens with our not-for-profit? Well, we certainly get more attention drawn to our website and our social media platforms. And then we can use that to reach out to donors via phone call or uh, we can even take that tiger and make him you know our poster child for the, the third quarter of uh, the year and uh, really blow it up to create a capital campaign from 
there see now you're thinking there so yeah so and then you can if you're featured in may on the local news station there's nothing preventing you from every other month doing a hey remember back whenever we were featured on the local nbc story and now you you have content that's helping you create more content that helps you create more content and it's this cycle that before you know it you're going to have so much content you're not going to know what to do and maybe it's giving you volunteers maybe it's giving you donations maybe it's helping you meet your mission that's great that's exactly what we want to have happen we need to figure out this process that we do it once or twice a year we're sitting on this content and then enables us to have that all that content being published for us and then we get to react whenever something pops in the news that's an asap thing instead of us always being in firefighting mode hey we need to create content because the schedule says we need something out by 8 a.m on wednesday and so it's very expensive time-wise to create that content right before you post it. Mm-hmm. Take a step back, generate it before, and you'll be amazed at the magic that will happen. Yeah, I do think that um, there might be a mindset out there that people think they have to create original content for every outlet that they have. And what I'm hearing you say is that, that that's not a good use of time. If you're every day trying to think for an hour what to post one thing on there, Congratulations, you just wasted $40 for your not-for-profit. Actually, you probably wasted more than that because you had to raise that. To get that $40 of that time spent, it may have taken six months of stewarding somebody that gave you a $100 donation. That's not being a good steward of the funds that were entrusted to do work. So if you are able to crack this uh, logistical strategy of how to take an hour's worth of content and repurpose that in different ways, you can kind of connect the stories together so that it makes cohesive sense online. And then take you can maybe even take that online presence and bring it into the real life at events. Yeah, you can repurpose this all the time think about every every activity that somebody does if you take a video how to make engaging online video classes which i took one where it was an entire day-long class they now went online you should see the videos that we make with that and how engaging they are if you're just doing a live video with your phone turned on you and it's like shaky and everything like that that's not going to get engagement but with some of the tools out there right now for what you can do for free it's absolutely amazing. My podcast is built on completely free applications and software. The only thing that I use is my time. There's, yep. I actually have no cost except for the microphone. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's reusable. You can absolutely. Like, well, this uh, has been so really interesting, Daniel. I, I think, is, is there another step after this? So the, so the biggest thing is that once you create this content, you repurpose it and you post it and you put it on a schedule that goes out, well, that lifts you up, take your time somewhere else. The last thing that I would encourage people to do is realize that the average person, at least in the marketing world, has to see something 15 to 20 times before they react to it. So you may think that, oh, because we post how to feed the tigers last month, we're not allowed to use that content again. Actually, you can. And I would say put it on a rotating calendar. Facebook and the social media, the way that it works is that what gets shown on other people's feeds are by what's most engaging. That means the likes and the video feeds and and everything that whenever people are touching it or forwarding it or sharing it, whatever else it is. So your content only gets shown to about less than 10% of the people that like your page. You have to do something with it. 
And I would encourage everybody else to make sure that you always harvest your patrons or your website visitors or get their email address every single time that you can because then you own the email address, which then gives you permission to email them. And things end up in people's inboxes more often than they end up on their Facebook feed. So always, always, always have a call to action to say, hey, being the first to know about how we feed big cats or what it's like behind the scenes, sign up for our insider behind the scenes XYZ Zoo Insights newsletter. Find it at zooinsights.com. Always have your, your call to action to harvest that email address. If you make your content, then work for them that they get to see the content a week before everybody else, they're in the know. Mm -hmm. And then it's like something prideful that they can say, hey, I don't know if you've seen this, but look how they're feeding this cat. What I like about this idea is that it's not very tech heavy. It's not cumbersome. You know, you take your phone, you get the content squared away in your head, and you record it. And then you can have someone else provide, if you're not very creative, the creativity. If you're not very tech savvy, the tech savvy part of creating something beautiful and engaging for donors and and volunteers, that can lead to something really great and it's not hard to do. No, but it takes the time. Yeah. That's the thing. And I'm huge on time management and one of my favorite, and I want to encourage everybody to, to listen to it. And I listen to it on a um, probably a monthly basis and I always pick up new time management techniques is a YouTube video by the guy by the name of Randy Posh, P-A-U-S-C-H. He's the guy that wrote the book Achieving Your Childhood Dream. I mean, he was on Oprah and everything as he was dying of pancreatic cancer, but he gave an amazing time management video. And his big mantra is you can't find time to do anything. You have to make the time. And so I would encourage all your not-for-profits and anybody listening, if you want the activity to happen, which is generating this content, well, you have to make the time. You'll never find the time to do it. You have to say, on the first Tuesday of every month, I'm going to record 30 new minutes, and my next step, step in the process is to give it to my team of five volunteers that love to generate content, and then they just generate and they give it back. Hey, so tell us a little bit about Lolly. So with Lolly, we make it super simple for kids to listen to recordings of their favorite book and stories read to them or told to them by their trusted family members. You've heard stories all the time, but instead we make it super simple for the kid to ask Amazon Alexa or Google Home, hey, Lolly, have Little Red Riding Hood told to me, or when Grandma met Grandpa, or whatever. So we've made an Alexa skill that you can just simply invoke. You record, and the kid gets to hear the story. And then the parents, or the grandparents, or aunt, uncle, godparents, records on their phone or on the computer their quick story. Little Red Riding Hood, how Grandma met Grandpa, um, and the kid can just simply request it on Alexa. So it, it, we're bringing the focus of story time onto self family recorded snippet. And it's not live, it's recorded, right? It's recorded, yes. I love this idea, especially right now as we all feel a little nervous about being around each other and especially the an older demographic with the pandemic and being able to still connect through technology and video and still have those intimate moments with our older population and them still being able to connect to their grandchildren or great-grandchildren. I just think that's such a, a necessary thing, and especially during a time of crisis. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. We've only been doing it for 30 days, but yeah, the, the next step is to get it into the hands of probably 50 more people just to work out some of the ease of use and make sure that we're meeting everybody's needs. But yeah, it's a pretty fun thing to do. I'm pretty excited about it. It works, um, and it's pretty simple to use. I actually made it for my nephew that's in Rhode Island that I can't read to him or have much interaction with the time difference, and yeah. um, it just it makes it overly difficult. But yeah, so he can he can ask for certain books and stories on there, no problem. Well, I did have a couple more questions for you, and they're sure. questions I usually ask people, and I call them my one common question. So okay. what is one thing that you could suggest as a resource for our listeners? It sounds like maybe I already know the answer to this. I've got a ton of resources. What's like, your I've favorite? Got favor- oh, there's so many of them that I use on a daily basis. Okay, my favorite one right now, because it saves me so much time and headache, is Calendly, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y.com. Mm-hmm. What Calendly does, you can send somebody a link and they can self-schedule meetings with you. So you can say, hey, I'm only available Tuesdays and Thursdays from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., and then you send out that link to people, and they can self-schedule. And you can ask them their name, their email, they can, and it only shows your available time. So it always checks your calendar. Yeah, Calendly for 9 bucks a month to buy back my time on scheduling. I love it. It's a good one. It's not what I thought you were going to say, so that's cool. Tell us one thing that you love about nonprofits. I love how simple they make very complex things. It's not simple asking people for donations. It's not simple putting on a gala. It's not simple all these donation strategies and donor outreach and working with a board. It's not easy. But because of the passion that they have, they just make it look like, yeah, I just woke up today and this big fundraiser that generated a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, it just happened. It doesn't just happen. They make it look so simple. That's a really great answer. I love that answer. Thank you. Well, great. Well, those are all my questions. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Daniel. I I think your strategy on buying back your time is something that perhaps nonprofits haven't really thought about right now and think it's not accessible for them because of cost barrier or whatever. So I really think that this is something that can be used immediately. Yeah. Tons of things. Yeah. Um, if anybody will put my contact information yeah. in the bottom of the show notes. This has been Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack. Thanks for listening.